Amen. What an awesome day to be together in church. Again, wherever you are, welcome to Joy Church Online. So good to be with you. Excited to jump in. Hey, I'm going to share a message with you I'm really excited about today. But first, a couple of quick announcements. Number one, as you know at Joy Church, we're not a church of spectators. We are participants. We're getting involved. We are not sitting it out on the bench. We're jumping in and playing the game on the field. And so one of the ways we do that is even on our Sunday mornings, part of our service is that right after the message ends, we jump into connect groups. It happens on Zoom right now. Looking forward to doing it in person at some point, but right now it happens on Zoom. And right after the service, you can go to joyeugene.com live and jump into a connect group to talk about the message and how it can be applied to your life, how you can grow in God, how you can follow Jesus better and help other people do the same. And so I want to encourage you to do that. That's part of our service directly after the message. Uh, the next thing, and we're having such a great time with this, is doing Wednesdays in the park, Joy Church in the Park, every Wednesday night at 6.30 through the summer. So we're going to be back in action, Emerald Park, at 6.30 p.m. this Wednesday. It's been so great being with you guys, sharing in fellowship in the Word and in worship. And so I want to see you there. Let's do it. Get out there. And we're excited. If you can't come for whatever reason to Wednesdays in the Park, don't worry. We're still doing all of our online stuff and bringing church right to you where, where you are. So excited about that, but we want to see you there Wednesday in the park at 6.30. And then last but certainly not least, one of the ways that we worship the Lord, <clears throat> one of the ways that we honor the Lord is with our tithes and our offerings, with our giving. And so at this time in our service, we're going to receive tithes and offerings. Now, I've really been thinking about this recently because as many of you have probably experienced, and I know I've experienced there's been some, uh, some rough waters, uh, so to speak, in our, in our country, in our nation, and around the world. And this hits us uh, in our wallet. It hits us in, in our pocketbook, right? And, and it, there can become this fear of what's going to happen. What does the future hold? And it's in those moments that we really have to find out who do we depend on, who do we trust in as our provider. And I know for Bethany and I and our family, we've really said, you know what? In good times, in lean times, good, bad when we know the future, when we don't know the future, what's going to happen, we're going to trust God and honor God in our finances. And so that's a valuable principle because God will never, uh, never fail us in this area. And so this is one of those areas where we trust God and it takes faith to trust God in the area of finances. But it is truly, as the scriptures say, more blessed to give than to receive. And it's been incredible to see in my life just the faithfulness of God in this area. As I've given and given to God's kingdom, and given generously, and given sacrificially, that God has blessed me in my finances, and always provided for me for all of my needs. So right now, uh, we're going to go ahead and receive tithes and offerings. You can go to joyeugene.com give, and we have all different ways, text to give, giving online, all the different things. You'll find out right there. Go to joyeugene.com give. Let's pray for the offering today. Father, we thank you that you provide everything for us, all of our needs. You take care of us, and God, you're faithful Lord, I thank you that you ultimately are our provider. Whether your provision comes through a job, whether it comes through freelance work, whether it comes through miracles, whether it comes through uh, whatever it does, Lord, you are ultimately our provider and it's no one and nothing else. And so, Lord, we honor you with our tithes and our offerings. We worship you in this area today. Bless the gift, bless the giver for all your purposes, God, that you're accomplishing through the resources that we as a church give. Lord, I thank you for this and we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. So wherever you are, I want to make sure you're saying amen in the sermons. Now maybe you're watching this and you're going, well, I'm all by myself. Uh, who's going to hear me? The Holy Spirit's going to hear you. That's who's going to hear you. 
and he's going to come tell me if you're not amening, right? And, and I pray every night, you know, Lord, tell me those that aren't amening so I can pray for your soul. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, amen is a Christian way to like bridge the gap between what you're going to say next in case you're wondering what that word is. Actually, no, the word amen means so be it. So it means I agree. I'm with you, Pastor Jake. Amen. So be it. Let's, let's go. So we're in a series, as you know, called Zoomed Out. We're talking about this idea that it's easy to lose the forest by just seeing the trees. Easy to lose the big picture and lose sight of the big by getting caught up in the everyday, the mundane, or, or the circumstances of life, whether they be good, bad, indifferent, whatever they may be. And we're talking about zooming out. We've talked about lifting our vision. We've talked about connecting with a heavenly perspective. We've talked about learning how to zoom out in prayer and get above circumstances and get above what's going on. And getting a higher vision from God for us as individuals, but not just for us as individuals, but for us as part of the bigger picture, as part of the story that God is writing in history. Now, one of the things that you need to understand is that as an individualist uh, American, you know, maybe you're not in, in the United States of America watching this, but probably most of the people watching this live and on uh, replay are, are living in the United States of America. We are shaped by our culture and our worldview is very individualistic. We are very uh, concerned with our individual purpose and our individual identity and our individual fulfillment. And that's okay. There is truth there. there there's, there's, it's important to know who you are and important to be an individual. But that's just one side of the coin. There's this other side that we find our identity in community and in the bigger picture. And specifically, we find uh, who we are and our purpose in the bigger picture of what God is doing in history, specifically through the church. And so there's something about being an individual, yes, and being fulfilled there. But then there's this other side of Christianity, which says you've got to deny your individuality, deny who you are, die to yourself. Jesus even says, take up your cross and this is not a religious jargon phrase that he's giving. When he says, take up your cross, a cross is a torture implement. It is a death implement. It'd be like in our day and age saying, strap on your electric chair and follow me. That's what Jesus says. And he's saying, you got to die to yourself. And you go, what? This sounds a little extreme. It is extreme. There's no other way to look at it. He says, you've got to die to yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me each and every day. There's something about actually subjugating and, and, and putting down uh, what we want and the fulfillment of our own desires in pursuit of something grander and bigger and larger being part of this grand tapestry that even surpasses our own lifetime. But in that, you find purpose and you find meaning as an individual. So it's wrapped together. There's something beautiful about this. It's a tapestry. Now, you go, man, you're really getting philosophical uh, all up in here right now. Well, we're going we're gonna to zoom in a little bit as we zoom out. So today I want to talk about, though, following Jesus, zooming out on following Jesus, learning how to sort of see the bigger picture. And I think this will make sense as we move forward in the message today, because I know that if you're like me, you're probably wrestling right now with this loss of certainty, this loss of comfort, this loss of convenience. You know, we found out, oh, now we have to wear masks when you go into stores and, you know, things have changed. And I, Bethany and I were talking about 2020 and we're like, you know, it was like all fine and dandy in January, and it was kind of like a cute name for a year, 2020. Ooh, do you see clearly, you know, and it was all fun and games. And then, boom, the hammer came down. It was like Kobe Bryant dies, and then uh, everything starts going haywire. We have this global pandemic, and, and maybe like me, you're kind of feeling like, who moved my cheese? You know, like who, who messed with my world? Everything was going along swimmingly, 
and now conveniences and, and like comforts and certainty and I actually am feeling fear for my safety and I'm feeling like things are moving outside of my control and all these things are swirling and going on. And you know what? In the midst of that, we're still called to what? To follow Jesus. There's something about being a Christian that yes, you live in the moment of time that you're in. You are an ambassador to the generation and the time that you are breathing oxygen on this planet, but you are also, you have one foot in another world, another kingdom, a timeless reality, right? And we talked about that, uh, about uh, being heavenly minded and, and, and getting that perspective. We're kind of part of two worlds uh, and, and something about following Jesus, it transcends and it zooms out and it goes above and beyond the here and the now. And it has these demands upon each of us as individuals as part of this grander story. You see, following Jesus isn't so much about what's going on out there in the world, the circumstances and everything happening, on, happening out there and what other people are doing. It's about what's going on in here. And this question of, am I really giving it all to follow Jesus? And have I really embraced this life as a follower of Jesus? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Going all in to follow Jesus, despite what happens, despite what's going on, despite the loss of comfort. And, and really, because of this loss of comfort and convenience, it should, it should get us to, to shake ourselves out of a slumber and get clarity, crystal clear clarity on what it means to follow Jesus and what really is required of us as disciples and disciple makers. Now, the question for all of us is what happens to you when you get squeezed, when you're pushed out of your comfort zone? Does more Jesus come out or does less Jesus come out, right? You remember uh, Pinocchio had Jiminy Cricket and I think there's a scene, if I'm remembering this right, but this has been years and years and years, where you've got like the good you know, voice on his shoulder and the bad voice. Maybe I'm thinking of something different, but you kind of know the story of like, there's the angel on this shoulder, the demon on this one, and those voices. Um, what happens when you get pushed out of your comfort zone? What voice do you listen to, right? Do you become more like Jesus when you get squeezed or do you become less like Jesus? Like what, what happens in these moments when you're pushed out of your comfort zone? Because right now we're being tested by being pushed out of our comfort zone. Like for me, Fourth uh, of July has been about camping, you know, with my family and camping with my kids. It's, it's all about me being out of my comfort zone. First of all, no air conditioning. Come on. I know, right? Should be like in the Geneva Conventions or something. Like Jake is required to have air conditioning wherever he goes. I put it in my rider, but they just didn't listen. <clears throat> you know, uh, sleeping in tents, you know, being outside in the heat. For me, outdoors is the space between air conditioning. And I've said this before, you know, you're, you're upset because some of you love nature, but you know, I love nature. I just love watching it on National Geographic. It's awesome. No, I like it a little bit more than that. But being with kids, it's like always the opposite of what I want to do. And I'm out of my comfort zone. But what does love require? What does it actually mean to be a dad? What does it actually mean to be part of a family? It means I die to myself so that another may experience the joy and fulfillment of that moment, okay? And this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, right? Now, I have a lot of scriptures to get into, so we're going to jump in. Just track with me here. We're going to look at Mark chapter 8, and then we're going to go into two stories about two individuals and how they faced up to something similar and what, what they did with Jesus in this decision to follow Jesus. So Mark chapter 8, this is Jesus here. He says, Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. This is the verse I was referencing earlier. 
If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. Now, I could preach all day right on that. If you try to hang on to your life, oh my gosh, okay, I'm just going to preach on this a little bit, okay. I know we have a time limit on live stream, but listen, I got I to gotta go where the, where the Holy Spirit leads. So many people are more concerned with hanging on to their life, the semblance of life they have in the moment, in the now, and they need to zoom out and go, you know what? I need to be pursuing the things of God and pursuing the destiny of God before my own life, comfort, safety, security, convenience, whatever, you fill in the blank. There's a temptation that will come for every one of us and always comes to us to put this life that we're living now above the things of God and to put it above pursuing the the heavenly vision like Paul talks about. Okay, that's all I'm going to say about that. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. There's something about the pursuit of our own agenda, our own you know, pleasure and pursuits and pride and achievements and all of that, that we can get so caught up in it, we're in the forest, we lose sight of the, or we're in the trees, we lose sight of the forest. We need to zoom out. And Jesus is saying, zoom out, zoom out, get a bigger picture, get a higher vision for life. He says, but if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, that's the gospel, the message that Jesus came and died for sinners like you, like me, to bring us into relationship with God. Okay, did you know that the good news is more important than your life? The good news is more important than my life. My safety is not more important than the good news. And you go, that's crazy talk. This sounds like you're some kind of religious zealot. No, I'm a follower of Jesus. See, we have to get reoriented to not being a Christian in the image of what it means to live in 21st century America, but what it means to be a Christian. Full stop. And Jesus said, look, don't put your life even above the gospel Because it's so short-sighted. You're in the trees, but you're missing the forest. If we could see eternity, if we could see the big picture, we'd realize that our life is just part of the story. It's not the whole story, even though it feels like it in the moment. Okay, I'm preaching good. I know you're in many. All right, so for the sake of the good news, if you give up your life for my sake, for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Is Jesus saying, go throw yourself off a cliff? No, he's not saying that. Be reckless. Don't. No, it's not what he's saying. But he's talking about this trajectory of life. In verse 36, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? This is a, an incredible question. What do you benefit? What would it profit a man to gain the whole world, lose his soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? What is the implication here? Absolutely not. Because why? Jesus is saying, look, when you follow me, you, you live these 75, 80, 90, 100 years And it's this much of this grand picture, this grand story. But yet people are willing to trade for for 70 years of comfort or convenience or whatever they can scratch out of these 70 years of comfort and convenience. They're willing to trade eternity, willing to trade the things of God, willing to trade the big picture, what it actually means to follow Jesus for just that small amount. He says, If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That's a, that's a verse we should probably do more devotions on right there. Rather than like, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts he, he thinks towards me, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give me a future and a hope. Ah, I'm going to close my precious moments devotional and go about my Christianese day today. Bless the Lord. No, like we actually need to get into some of these verses that actually Jesus says, look, there's actually stakes. Not real stakes, like on a grill. I'm talking about S-T-A-K-E-S, stakes, like Something's at stake here. There's actually judgment. There's actually, uh, there's actually something going on. You're, the way you live your life and spend your life matters in, in the big picture. 
And are we ashamed of him? Do we live our lives ashamed of this message and of this savior and of this gospel and of this kingdom? Or do we put it first? And you go, man, that just sounds so radical. Yeah, it is radical. It was pretty radical when Jesus died on a cross naked for our sins and gave his life. It was pretty radical when he was here on this planet and was ridiculed and rejected and lied about and betrayed. And he was doing it all for you and I. It was pretty radical. Grace is actually pretty scandalous and radical. And the response to grace is actually pretty radical, as you're going to see. Following Jesus is about going all in. And this is a message that I hope just pierces you today, that just comes to you, go, man, it's 4th of July. Why are we talking? Why are you doing the hardest message of the year on 4th of July? That's just how I roll. Something about fireworks just makes me salty. I don't know. What does Jesus want? He wants all of us, all of it, everything, our whole life. You mean, you mean he wants my money? Yeah. You mean he wants my, my sex life? Yes. You mean he wants my marriage and my family? Yeah, he wants all of it. He wants your entire life. He wants to be the Lord of your life. He wants to lead you and guide you. He wants you to, to, to give it to his kingdom, to put God's kingdom above all else. And so the question for all of us is this, what am I going to do with Jesus? Am I going to follow Jesus actually? Am I going to really go all in or am I going to try to kind of play at both sides, live kind of in the world and do the Christian thing and kind of be religious on Sunday, tone my language down, you know, a few notches and and then, but then Monday at back at work with the boys or with the girls, whatever, I'm, you know, talking a different way, whatever that looks like. Or are we going to go all in with Jesus? Okay, as we move forward, I want to tell you two stories from the scripture of two people that had encounters with Jesus, that actually sought Jesus out. They were pursuing Jesus, but when they were faced with this question that we're looking at today, am I going to give him all of it? everything, my whole life? Am I going to pursue him with everything I am and everything I have? Or am I going to just do it halfway or a quarter way? Two people that were pursuing Jesus, that encountered Jesus, but had very different outcomes in their story. Now, Jesus, just to give you some context, is on his way to Jerusalem. And on the way to Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem is up in, in the hills, up in the mountains. And the route that Jesus would take would be to go through this, the plains and then go to the city of Jericho, which they're at the, at the, is at the foot of these mountains or at the foot of the Judean hills, and then go up this narrow canyon road, the, the road to Jericho or the road from Jericho between Jerusalem and Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. So Jesus is on his way to Jericho. And uh, it says in Luke chapter 18, okay, as Jesus is on this journey, it says a religious leader asked Jesus this question. Another uh, translation or passage, he's called a rich young ruler but he's a religious leader, a young man, but he's, he's rich. He's a religious leader. He asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? This is a common question that you would ask rabbis or teachers. You're basically saying, what's the key? What, how, how do I get into the kingdom of God? This was a common thing they would ask when they wanted to kind of apprentice themselves or find out if they were going to follow this teacher. Jesus says, why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. And the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Okay, he says, I'm good. I, Jesus, I know the rules and I've kept the rules. Now this was pretty common for the wealthy class at this time who were educated in the Torah. They were educated in the law. They knew the law and they would pride themselves on keeping the law. And because they had more knowledge, even the poor people tended to look at the wealthy and say, well, 
they know the law better. They, they have more education. Therefore, they're more righteous. If they know it more, if they have more knowledge about it, they must be more righteous. And so he's basically looking for a pat on the head, isn't he? He's coming up like a, you know, like a, like a poodle. Good teacher, what must I do? Because he knows, I already know all the right answers, right? It's kind of like that nerdy kid, right, in class, the one everybody dislikes, but he, he ended up owning like a Fortune 500 company because he was smarter than all of us, you know? And he always knows the answer, so he always gets his hand up faster than everybody else. You know what I'm saying? This is what this guy's doing. He's looking for a pat on the head. He says, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And he wants Jesus to be like, awesome, you're in. You know, you're, you're, you're good. And everybody can see it. But that's not what happens. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, there is still one thing you haven't done. Now, I, everybody, I know everybody around goes, what? <laughs> right? He says, sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. This is a little different. <laughs> this is a little bit extra. This is unique. Now, Jesus has this little thing going for him. Um, he's God. So he knows the actual zeroed in thing in this guy's heart that is the actual real issue. Now, you might be reading this through the lens of somebody who's got a broke poverty mindset and be like, see, rich people are evil. No, you got a bad heart and you need to repent of that. If you're prejudiced against somebody because they have more money than you, you need to repent of that. And vice versa, if you have a lot of money and you're prejudiced against the poor, you need to repent of that mindset. This isn't about money. It's about what his heart clings to and what is the actual root issue, okay? And so when Jesus heard his answer. He says, you haven't done this one thing. You need to give your money to the poor. Then you can come follow me. You need to let go of that thing that you are holding on to. It's like his security blankie, right? We all have one in our life. It's that thing we cling to. And he says, then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But in verse 23, when the man heard this, he became very sad for he was very rich. That was the thing that was stopping him. Now I want you to catch something here. He pursued Jesus. Jesus is on a journey and this man comes up. I think in the, in the passage in Mark, we find out that he comes and he kneels down. He takes this extreme uh, humble posture and he's asking this question and he's, he's looking to be accepted. I mean, I don't think he's a bad guy, right? We don't hear anything about him being a bad guy. But Jesus identifies that thing inside of him that is stopping him from really being all in and he departs sorrowfully. Somebody who thinks I've kept all the rules, I'm good, I'm in, I'm in the inner circle, and he finds out he's not, and there's something stopping him from being that way. Now, next story, Jesus goes up to Jericho, and he goes into the city, and it says in verse 1 of Luke chapter 19, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. We have two super rich guys, two men both pursuing Jesus, both wealthy, both affluent, very, very different outcomes as you're going to see. In verse 3, he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd, which is why we have this famous Sunday school song. All the oversaved people can sing it. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore. Okay, that's dumb. Let's stop singing it. Okay. It's actually a pretty good song. He's like a cool beat to it, though. Okay. So he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he's too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. 
Okay, rich young ruler, religious leader, pursues Jesus, comes to Jesus, takes an act of humility. Zacchaeus, rich tax collector, corrupt to some level, working for the Romans, probably uh, against the Jewish law. Um, he is collaborating with Gentiles, collaborating with the oppressive Roman Empire that's ruling over uh, uh, Israel at this time. He goes, he climbs up a tree. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled, and we could preach about this all the time. The minute you find freedom in Jesus, other people are going to be displeased with you. Displeased. Oh, they don't deserve it. They, you know how many people that was with, and that guy, and he was doing that, and I saw him down at the corner, and that person, okay, are you going to pursue Jesus and worry about that, or, you know, let that go? So, they were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. In other words, you're in, bud. You get it. You understand what it means. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Both of these men were lost. Both of these men were rich. Both of these men had been wayward. One of them departs sorrowfully and does not connect with Jesus. The second man connects with Jesus. Now what's interesting is Jesus never tells Zacchaeus to give away his money. But let me just tell you this right now. Grace will compel you to give up your idol far greater and far more powerfully than the law ever will. You see, this other guy's trying to keep the law, keep the rules. Zacchaeus isn't trying to keep the rules, but he encounters grace and there's a push inside of him to change, to be different and to go all in with Jesus. And so he does un, unprompted what this other guy, Jesus, asks him. I mean, think about this. Jesus asks you, hey, you need to give away. This is what you need to do. You need to give away your wealth and you go, oh, I can't do that, and you depart sorrowfully. That's a scary place to be. It means you have a stronger hold on the idol in your life than you do upon wanting to be a follower of Jesus versus this guy who will willingly do whatever it takes, is not even prompted, and out of his own heart and spirit says, I'm going to make this right. I'm going to give away half of my wealth, and I'm going to restore four times what I've stolen. And Jesus never told him to do that. But he responds, salvation has come to this home today. This first guy seeking to earn his way to God with good deeds, Zacchaeus, is not trying to earn his way. He just is receiving Jesus with joy, receiving Jesus with uh, happiness and excitement, it says. And Jesus never even asks Zacchaeus to do something. We don't have any account here of Jesus being like, well, Zacchaeus, you know, I'm coming to your house and listen, you need to do this, 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 and this. And then if you, you do this, you're, you're in. There's an encounter with Jesus, but it's completely different, though these men are very similar in, in their outward appearance based on their heart because one is saying, I want to give you all of it, all my life. I hold nothing back. There's something about a true disciple of Jesus that says, you know what? Yeah, it pinches sometimes, it hurts, it stings, but I'm an open book. I'm an open account. God, take what you want. I'm yours. I want to live my life because I received Jesus to my house 
into my life with joy and with excitement, and he is my exceedingly great reward. All of it. Jesus, take it all. And grace is so beautiful in this story because grace compels us to do what the law could never get us to do. Grace is at, at, at uh, each moment more severe than the law ever is. I mean, when you think about the words of Jesus, right? The, the law of Moses says, don't murder. Don't murder people. And you're like, that's a good one. Yeah, I agree with that. But Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you, don't even hate people in your heart. Which one's actually stronger? The grace commandment is stronger. And ultimately the law was impossible for us to accomplish and do without Jesus, which is why we needed Jesus to die. We needed Jesus to provide us grace to transform us from the inside out. But grace will compel you to do things you would never do because of law. You'll never earn your way to God. But grace is not opposed to effort, just earning. Grace will cause you to pursue Jesus and lay your life down and go to the mission field and go across the street to your neighbor to bring him cookies to invite him to church. It'll cause you to do things to make you uncomfortable. It'll cause you to have great joy and compassion and peace in the midst of crisis. It'll, it'll change you from the inside out. The law could never do that. Two encounters with Jesus. One heart that says I'm all in. One heart that says, no, I am holding something back. The question for us today is which one are we? As we zoom out, of what's going on. And we look at what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus said, look, to follow me is an all in type of a thing. To follow me means give it all, all of it. You're open. You're trusting me to lead. If Jesus says, I want all your money, give him all your money. If he says, I want your life, I want you to go here or go there. Is he the Lord of your life? Are you, are you all in? But the beautiful thing is you inherit something far greater than anything you would ever give up, which is the kingdom of God, eternal life, and a relationship with Jesus. One man holds on to his cash and he departs with great sorrow. One man relinquishes his wealth and he's filled with joy. This is the, the paradoxical nature of the gospel. This call to respond to an invisible God asking us for everything, like to put our faith in Christ and it's paradoxical, isn't it? Because we think if I hold on to my life, if I hold on to my wealth, my privilege, my pride, my possessions, if I hold on and I do my own thing, I will be fulfilled. And Jesus says it's the opposite. If you let go and you trust me, I will lead you to fulfillment. So there's a lot of things we talked about today. But what I want us to focus in is this. Jesus is coming to you today saying, hey, disciple, will you follow me? Wherever you are, maybe you've been following Jesus for 20 years, the same words come to you today. Follow me. Follow me. There's always a next step with Jesus. Maybe you are not a Christian. You don't even believe in God. You don't even have faith in Jesus at this point, but the same words are being given to you. Follow me. Follow me. Come, follow me. And for all of us, we have to make that decision inside. Am I, am I open? Am I going to give him all of it, all my life, everything, or am I holding something back? Such a beautiful thing. But when we trust in Jesus, this is what's so cool, is that, again, grace shows up. For Zacchaeus, grace that transforms, grace that, that changes his life, that brings joy even in the midst of him sacrificing and restoring what he stole. Grace is so powerful. And I want to finish with this, this poem written by uh, John Bunyan, at least attributed to John Bunyan, uh, who is the author of Pilgrim's Progress. He, he wrote this poem. He says, Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. 
Better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. Grace will take you places that law never could, that your possessions never could, that anything your life and your pursuits will take you. Grace and trusting in Jesus and going all in and following him will take you farther, give you wings to fly and zoom out above it all. Awesome. Hey, this morning, if you've been listening to me and you're like, Pastor Jake, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I want to. I want to give my life, my heart to Christ. This is your moment right here. And I just want to ask you to pray this simple prayer with me right now. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I confess that I've not lived up to your perfect standard. I've, I've hurt myself, I've hurt others, and I've hurt you with my disobedience and my sin. And Lord, I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be reconciled with you. I give you my life, give you my heart, put my full faith and trust in you. And I pray that you would give me your life and receive me into your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Hey, if you prayed that prayer today, I just want to ask you to take a very small, simple step of faith and text the word decided. That's the word decided. We're going to put it on the screen for you to the number 541-229-8848. Just text the word decided, 541-229-8848. And if you want to get more connected with Joy Church, anybody that's watching this today, I want to invite you to fill out a welcome home card. We want you to join this family, get, become a part of this church. We want to help you discover the next steps and your purpose in God and how you can move forward uh, with us at Joy Church. So all you need to do is text the word HOME to 541-229-8848. All right, you guys, so good being with you today. Jump into connect groups. God bless you.